0: Information that you receive on exclusively inclusive podcast is designed to be a learning experience for patients and listeners in order to supplement their own information so they can be better equipped to be advocates in their own healthcare journey. The opinions expressed by Erin Everett are the opinions of her own and do not represent any third parties or separate entities. In addition the specialists that present on the show are also here to supplement your own healthcare information and are not designed to replace any treatment plans or information you're receiving from your own healthcare specialists. We hope that you enjoy the show and continue to subscribe and listen in.
1: If you have always been seen for your gender identity, if you're cisgender, then you won't know what the feeling is like when someone doesn't see you and how painful it is to feel like you always have to go through the world kind of asserting yourself and pushing your identity especially if that identity is just one aspect of yourself
0: welcome to exclusively inclusive Your source for the latest in LGBTQIA healthcare, transgender HRT, and personal empowerment. Here's your host, Erin Everett. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Exclusively Inclusive. I'm your host, Erin Everett, nurse practitioner. On today's show, we have a very special guest, um, someone I'm very excited to interview, Dr. Linda Bacon. Uh, Dr. Linda Bacon has been authoring books and public speaking for many, many years. Uh, one of their first books that they wrote was Health at Every Size, which a lot of my patients you know, have already read and try to utilize the concepts within that book about being comfortable and knowing that you can be healthy regardless of what the, the scale says and practicing intuitive eating. Their most recent book, however, is Radical Belonging. Radical Belonging, How to Survive and Thrive in an Unjust World While Transforming it for the Better. In this book, Lindo talks about their experiences coming out as non-binary, their struggles with gender through childhood, their trauma related to such, especially in regards to societal acceptance, religion, and religious uh, rituals, such as the bar mitzvah. They're also very personal and raw experiences within that book, especially within the first two chapters of the book that Lindo shares with us to help us feel more accepted ourselves and know that we're not alone in the struggle um, to belong in the society that doesn't really want us to belong. Um, Lindo breaks down different ways to manage and cope and identify your trauma, your unconscious bias, your implicit bias, and the way that you navigate the world in order to create more self-awareness and in order to harbor a more nurturing environment that creates a safe space for everybody, regardless of gender identity, sexual orientation, or your ethnic background. In this book, Lindo calls themselves out for their implicit and unconscious bias and the ways that they're working on that as well. And I think that's really important, especially while reading it, as we all carry these implicit and unconscious biases, and it, it does impact the way that we interact with the world and the way that we can have these, quote, microaggressions against other marginalized communities. Dr. Bacon is highly educated, not only through traditional college and university experiences, but also through life experiences. Dr. Bacon earned their Ph.D. Degree in Physiology from the University of California, Davis, where they currently serve as an associate nutritionist. They also hold graduate degrees in psychology and exercise metabolism. Dr. Bacon also formerly taught at the City College of San Francisco in the health and education, psychology, women's studies, and biology departments. A professor and researcher for almost two decades, Dr. Bacon has taught courses in social justice, health, weight, and nutrition. They've also conducted federally funded studies on health and weight and published in top scientific journals. Their research has been supported by grants from the United States Department of Agriculture and National Institutes of Health. It is important to note that Dr. Bacon is industry independent. Their pledge not to accept money from weight loss, pharmaceutical, or food industry, signed when getting a PhD almost two decades ago, supports them in speaking truth to power. The only motivation that Dr. Bacon has is listed in their missions. It's to promote social and economic justice and help generate a culture of belonging. To galvanize a body positivity movement, which celebrates the influence of our multiple intersecting identities, to provide the critical thought, inspiring vision, and practical strategies you need to celebrate and care for your own body, to help you develop your skills, educate, motivate, and inspire others, and to nurture a culture of belonging. After reading Dr. Lindo Bacon's book, and I will continue to refer to them as Lindo uh, per their request, I felt myself really processing a lot of the information within the book and found like layers of fear, excitement, and anxiety. Very excited for my listeners to read the book because I think it can be challenging, but also offer a lot of healing, a lot of anxiety. Because you know, I'm a person too. I have my own struggles that I don't necessarily talk about on the podcast because that's not what the podcast is for. It's to provide information to people who need it, not to talk about my own struggles throughout my own uh, childhood and life. But the tools in this. The subject matter that Lindo addresses in this book can be very raw and thought-provoking. So, you know, um, and, they're, and I think that they do a really good job of indicating when there's going to be trigger warnings in the book and also explaining terms that may be more niche and maybe not every reader would be familiar with. But at the end of each page, if there's terms that they have used that may not be more commonly well-known, they go ahead and explain it. They also explain some more concepts in uh, greater detail at the bottom of each uh, page if needed. So without further ado, I want to introduce the very special guest, Lindo. Welcome to the show, Lindo. We're so excited to have you on here today.
1: Oh, it's awesome to connect up with you, Erin. I know you're doing great work in the world, and um, I looked forward to chatting with you.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. I feel, you know, kind of late to the program as far as the following and We can talk more about that in more detail, but as far as, you know, your previous work with Health at Every Size and everything, um, I've really tried to familiarize myself with your work. So I'm really feeling very fortunate that you took the time to come on the show and help our listeners today. Cool. Awesome. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe like a, a fun fact, whether it's a hobby or a pet that you have, and then your pronouns that you like to use.
1: Um, Sure thing. Yeah, my dog, Buddy, she was named by my kid when he was about five years old. He was my <laughs> constant companion. Aww. And um, I think, you know, she's the one that's getting me through this pandemic. Um, but sadly, she's getting a little bit old right now. Aww. And, you know, I can see that um, she's got a bit of arthritis and it's a little harder getting around. So yeah. we're all dealing with that. So that's that's my little... Fun fact, the one the one thing I've never actually written about, I think most of my life
0: now is fairly public, um, yeah. given
1: writing I've done. Yeah. Um, and for pronouns, I go with they, them.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. What kind of dog is Buddy?
1: Oh, she's a mutt, you know? Oh, I love like the, But of, a very cute brand of mutt. She weighs about <laughs> 40 pounds, and she's all white with um, brown spots.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cute. I'm a huge dog lover, and I actually have an Australian Shepherd. I've put her in the other room, though, because every now and then she's the sweetest dog ever. But if anyone ever comes to the door, she'll bark. That's the only time she ever makes a peep. But, yeah, I love dogs. (laughs) They're wonderful. So, yeah, um, one of the few things that I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, was your amazing new book, Radical Belonging, How to Survive and Thrive in an Unjust World While Transforming It for the Better. You know, I was really had no expectations of this book when I first picked it up. After I actually listened to your um, book, Health at Every Size, after listening to that, I knew kind of where you were coming from as far as body positivity and intuitive eating and not fat shaming and things like that. But this book takes it to a whole new level and deeper understanding of what all that means and how to apply to all kinds of people. And I think, you know, the first few chapters of it were really raw and very courageous of you to write about.
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad that the first two chapters kind of hit you emotionally, because it was emotional um, writing for me. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I first started writing the book, it wasn't meant to be a book. It was actually just a personal journal. And it was a journal kind of exploring my gender identity from birth to present. And honestly, it was a really painful read and writing. I, I mean, I, I basically wrote that through tears, mm. Look. Of the ways in which i felt that the world expected me to be a girl you know and every time i tried to step out of that role a little i would get chastised for it right you know my parents would condemn me for uh, my unladylike behavior and try to force me into dresses that just felt so not like me Mm -hmm. and socially i saw the same things that you know there were all these expectations on me that i was supposed to look more like a girl and act more like a girl and you know even things like wanting to play baseball and in order to do that my father actually had to go to court to ask the boys leagues to make space for me because Mm -hmm. you know there was no such thing as girls baseball and you know he won that and i got on a baseball team and Still, it you know, like, it it was just hard always being outside of things and never really feeling like I was being seen for who I was or valued. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a very painful writing for me. And you saw some of those stories in the first two chapters. Mm-hmm. But look back on it, I also realized that, hey, you know, my life has not been predominantly about pain. There's also been a lot of joy in life. And my gender identity is just one small aspect of who I am. And I also realized that I had tremendous resilience and ways of managing the pain as it was coming in that really helped me. And these tools of resilience kind of built over the years so it got easier as an adult than it was as a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and I rewrote the story, adding in all of those resilience skills that helped me to manage those difficult moments and kind of and towards the end i realized that my resilience had actually turned it around so that my gender identity has become kind of more of a source of power for me um you know i'm comfortable in it now i get respected for it now Mm -hmm. and it gives me access into the world a way of seeing the world that other people just don't have and I've come to appreciate mm-hmm. and love who I am in that way. Awesome. So I wrote that into the story. And then the third draft was coming back at it with all of the professional stuff that mm-hmm. I've learned. You know, I'm also a scientist and I have a lot of expertise in health as a physiologist and mm-hmm. as a psych- as someone trained in psychotherapy and in exercise science. So I know how the body works. And what I realized was that the pain that I was experiencing, the fear, that that stuff is kind of biologically written into our bodies, Mm -hmm. that we all have this very physical need to belong to community. And when that gets threatened, there are physical ramifications. Mm -hmm. And so... I was able to write in the biology of why I experienced the pain, what resilience um, skills you can use to manage that pain, how your body looks different when you're managing the pain better. So the final book is basically weaving together the personal stories that make all this stuff real and the science that explains how The more we develop a sense of belonging for everybody, that's where the beauty lies. And it's possible. It's possible for all of us as individuals. And it's possible when we come together as a collective. Mm -hmm. And these two things happen at the same time. So that's a rather long-winded response to your question. But that's how the book evolved and turned into what it is.
0: That's awesome. No, I don't think it was too long winded at all. I think it was very well thought out. And it also stimulates some questions for me. You know, when you say everybody has this strong sense of needing to belong, I also noted in the book that you also refer back how too unnatural it is for us during this pandemic to be socially isolating, which I can totally relate to. But also, do you find that people who had more acceptance in their childhood have an easier time feeling accepted and belonging as adults? Or do you think there's really not that much correlation there?
1: I think there's a very strong correlation that Mm -hmm. your childhood kind of sets you up for your adulthood. Mm -hmm. And people who experience more of a sense of belonging as childs will come up with a a sense of expectation that that's gonna happen in Mm -hmm. their lives. Which is a beautiful thing and Mm -hmm. also sometimes it can also lead to a sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. where you always expect to, you know, that your feelings are going to be centered and paid attention to. Um, So, yeah, it it sets you up with those skills, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. Yeah. And for those of us who didn't feel that sen- same sense of belonging as a child, and I should say that it wasn't across the board that I didn't feel a sense of belonging, you mm-hmm. know, in other words, I I, I did. And mm-hmm. I, I had friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, for people that don't have a sense of belonging in childhood, it could, could, set you up to feel distrustful of others and expect that they're not going to treat you well as an adult Mm -hmm. and so you're always vigilant and it that makes it harder to step into spaces so we all carry the marks of our childhood but i also think that at any moment we have the ability to change all of that you know in scientific terms we call that neuroplasticity Mm -hmm which is just mentioning the fact that your body is set with certain ways of um, acting when you get into adulthood. Like it might be the vigilance and distrust, or it might be the expectation that everybody's gonna love you and the confidence Mm -hmm. in the world, Mm -hmm. right? And those those are our go-to feelings when we enter new situations as adults. We can reverse anything in the adulthood, but we have to pay attention. You know, there's certain ways that we, we need to act that's going to help to free us from the conditioned responses that are more likely.
0: hmm. Yeah. And I think. At one point, too, you even mentioned in the book that perhaps people who had experienced a childhood and adolescence and early, even early adulthood of acceptance and everything, that if they did encounter a situation that they weren't included in, it may make them feel even more left out because they weren't part of a marginalized population that was almost used to feeling left out. And so the expectation for the marginalized populations was they weren't going to be included and they'd already developed some resilience and coping skills around that, whereas those who had were still, as adults, then trying to navigate that, like, wow, I'm not really used to this and might encounter setbacks in their personal growth and development based on that.
1: Exactly. You know, and it it makes them more likely to seek out people that look and act like them. Yeah. 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 And to be scared of more inclusive places.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really important to note because I honestly, like part of reading the book, I felt a little called out myself, (laughs) you know, because like you say in the book, there's a lot of different types of trauma. There's a lot of different things that happen throughout our lives. And, you know, while um, gender is one thing that someone may struggle with, there's a lot of other different things as far as like child abuse and how that may manifest in Body shaming, fat shaming, eating disorders, and that type of thing. But also like reading it as someone who may not have like dealt with any of those things in their own personal life is like, huh, wow, I hadn't thought of it like that. And so it actually took me some time to read through your book because I try to do it so thoughtfully and take some of the things that you were saying and kind of apply them and, and apply some more self-awareness on how maybe I interact with the world especially when you were talking about implicit and um, unconscious bias. I thought that was really phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that stuff is so
1: important because Mm -hmm. all of us can go through the world, just seeing everybody through our lens, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, like I think about how cis people Mm -hmm. who are used to, their gender identity being seen and acknowledged mm-hmm. have no clue what the experience might be like for somebody that might present or be seen in the world as, say, a woman, mm-hmm. but isn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how, how important it is to... Do simple things like find out somebody's pronouns before you use them. Right. Because, you know, if if you're if you're cis, it just makes sense. Like it, it like you don't understand that experience
0: mm-hmm.
1: of what it's like to not be seen, mm-hmm. and what it's like when you misgender somebody. Yeah. And. So it wouldn't occur to you if you're used to seeing things through these terms like I know what a girl looks like mm-hmm. and you don't know what a girl looks like you know like you can never know somebody's gender identity just by looking at them you you can know their gender presentation but mm-hmm. that could be very different than who they feel like
0: inside right gender expression so, and gender identity are not synonymous they're you know they're they're very different they're very exclusive of each other
1: Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like people shouldn't have to go through surgery or whatever, whatever it is that people might might help people to visually put them into a box. Mm -hmm. There should be more room for Mm -hmm. gender expression Mm -hmm. without the assumption of gender identity. lumped onto. I mean, I I
0: agree.
1: Yeah. And so just to get back to the point that you originally raised, that if you have always been seen for your gender identity, if you're cisgender, Mm -hmm. then you won't know what the feeling is like when someone doesn't see you Mm -hmm. and how painful it is to feel like you always have to go through the world kind of asserting yourself and pushing your identity. Mm hmm. Especially if that identity is just one aspect of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a hard thing, but all of us have these biases through which we see the world. And we don't understand people who have different, say, cultural background Mm -hmm. than us. Mm -hmm. And that causes a lot of pain in the world. Mm -hmm. And some of it we might be more explicitly aware of. But a lot of it isn't, you know, and some of it kind of falls in the middle of that. Like, for example, I know that if I'm walking down this a dark street and if I see a black man approaching me, I'm much more likely to hold onto my backpack more tightly than if I see a white woman coming towards me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know these people, you know, I don't know who is more capable of violence. And I also know that I don't want to be that racist person. Right. And yet, there's this unconscious thing in me that just reacts that way. And um, I don't want to be that person.
0: <laughs> right. It's uncomfortable, especially when you you can view yourself as somebody who is very accepting of others and very down to earth and very real and non judgmental, but then you have to confront these uncomfortable, unconscious things. You're like, ooh, what is that? Right, yeah. you know, and
1: about what life is like for that black man to
0: just yeah. feel like
1: just his presence makes people unsafe. Right. You know, and how he may want everyone to know he's just a sweet guy, I get to know him. Right. And yet there's this kind of, uh, this unintentional thing that happens when white people are around him Mm -hmm. where he's just not trusted. And, you know, I feel for all of those people for whom I have committed microaggressions against and, you know, made it tougher for them and then contributed to their sense of unbelonging. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to keep minimizing the harm that I do in the world. And maximizing the good that I do in the world, Mm -hmm. which means working on all of this stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, we get one life. And if we're not constantly working on ourselves, then we're just bobbing along. You know, um, I see life as an opportunity for continuous growth. And so I think you've done a really good job with that with your book, though. I mean, I think that you've really brought attention and brought to the surface a lot of things that people are dealing with. Internally, and maybe you're making vulnerability more socially acceptable.
1: You know, and and I also want to say that, like, I've used the word working on, like, working on ourselves. Uh And maybe there's a different language that we should be using, because I also think that there is so much joy in this. Right. That, you know, as we go through this process, what that means is our world becomes so much richer because we have so many more people in, in our lives. And so with so much richer and different cultural experience, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes, it's, it's a really beautiful, wonderful thing, too. So maybe it's not really about work. It's also just about a way of accessing more joy in our lives.
0: Yeah, personal enrichment. Yeah. And development. Yeah. Because it's not always work. Like you say, it's, it can often be very rewarding and insightful. Sometimes it is hard to like, you know, when you're addressing your own implicit or unconscious bias, but otherwise it can, you know, open up a whole new insight and you can learn so much more about other people that maybe you didn't even know existed, especially for those who are just now familiarizing themselves with the gender community. You know, I've been working with the gender community for a long time, but I do encounter people that are, you know, quote, ignorant, ignorant, meaning lacking knowledge about it, um, not by choice, necessarily. Um, but it's just not something that they've been exposed to or chosen to learn about. And for them, non binary is a concept that they're trying to figure out. And for me, non binary is probably one of the most beautiful things a person could be, to be honest with you, because I and one of my colleagues, Michelle, who I've actually featured on the show before, I've talked at length about how non-binary people are just so far ahead of the game um, compared to the rest of us who are still stuck in binary land in some ways, because you're seeing beyond social norms and social constructs that were developed by people hundreds of years ago. And you're presenting yourself as a person rather than a social construct. And it's just like, here I am, this is me. And this is how I am. And I'm not going to conform to what other people have in mind for me. And so in that way, I find it very beautiful, you know.
1: And it's interesting. I think back to like elementary school Mm -hmm. and in elementary school, I was really one of the most popular kids. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why was because. I was a bridge between the genders, right? And the, the boys and girls were separate all the time. Right. And they didn't interact because they had such different ways of being in the world. And they were kind of scared of one another. Mm-hmm. And yet, I could hang out with the boys. And one of the things that was amazing is that the boys, I wouldn't say that they related to me like another boy. Because they were much more comfortable expressing their emotions around me yeah. than they were around other boys. Like, there's something about me being in that middle gray zone that kind of makes it safe for people who are binary to express aspects of themselves that aren't as culturally accepted. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that, like, I look back to elementary school and how much I played this role with people and how much it was loved. And then I look at how as we got older, that role became a little bit less respected because the gender roles were so built in of being the right and correct way Mm -hmm. of being Mm -hmm. that it suddenly became shameful for a girl to act like a boy. Right. (laughs) Or, you know, what they or coined
0: the term tomboy. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. God um, forbid if you didn't run around in a dress in pretty curls and bows and didn't want to get, and if you wanted to play in the mud, you were coined a tomboy. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So, yeah, and I feel like, again, you know, that that's one of the things that makes me beautiful today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things that I think people appreciate in me. And I think that the more people see that, We don't have to be tied down to gender. The more it's going to feel, it's going to free people who are in those binary categories to see more aspects of themselves, right? You know, and that they don't have to be limited to certain ways of being in the world. And they can also start to see the ways in which um, their gender has been assigned to them has been quite harmful for them. You know, like look at how. This whole idea of feminine beauty has harmed women. Right. That so many women feel like they need to adhere to a certain ideal or there's something wrong with them. And so they spend a life chasing it and feeling inadequate because nobody actually does. And how painful that is. And if we could lighten up on the need to... Um, meet up with these feminine ideals and just kind of be more accepting of the range that, you know, this is what a human looks like, and find the beauty in that. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. And of course, we could also go beyond the need to for defining beauty as so important in our lives.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. And as, as far as defining beauty as material things or certain ways to express and have a deeper understanding of what it might be to find somebody beautiful. Right. Yeah. And can I just,
1: I want to just intercede with a little story here. It's a story I tell in my book, but every time I hear the word beautiful, I think about my name because that's what Linda and Lindo mean. is beautiful in In Spanish. Spanish yeah, and in Portuguese too. And when my parents named me Linda, it was because they saw beauty as important for a girl and they wanted to have that beautiful girl. And for, they saw that as the way of me getting accepted mm-hmm. in the world. And when I shifted my name to Lindo, I did because I learned that um, Lindo, first off, was the masculinized form of Linda, which seemed more appropriate of who I was. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is when you, in some cultures, when you, the the words are defined a little bit differently, that Linda is beauty in more of a physical sense, but Lindo is more of a beautiful essence in a person, not so much connected to physical beauty. And so I love the way the transition to this name not only messes with gender, but it messes with our whole concept of beauty as well. And so the name Lindo seems so much more appropriate to me. It's a way of kind of maintaining what my parents wanted for me, but taking it on in a form that is just more me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Yeah, that is really beautiful. And I love the thought behind it. Hey everyone, I have a quick favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and just clicking the subscribe button on whichever platform you use to listen to my show, that would be wonderful. Not only does it allow you to get notified every time I publish an episode, but it also helps with my ratings and reviews, which... What that means in podcast world is that I'm able to climb up in the rating scale and reach other listeners. The whole reason why I started the show is to access people who needed the information. So please just go ahead and click subscribe. Then we can all be happy and continue to listen to this good quality free information. Thank you so much. I often love hearing too with a lot of my patients who um, start out on their journey. Some people arrive At my clinic or, you know, however you want to phrase it, you know, most people have already been struggling with their gender for a long time. By the time they come and meet me and they're ready to start hormones, they're ready to start their medical transition. And that could entail anything as far as just doing low-dose non-binary or full masculinization or full feminization. And some people get surgery, some people don't. but. Sometimes people haven't landed on a name that fits them and listen and helping them along the way and seeing them like their shoulders relax, the more comfortable they get every single solitary follow up I have with them as they become more comfortable in their authentic self and watching the process uh, of them selecting a name that fits them and the stories behind it is probably one of the most joyous parts of my job. I mean, I feel so lucky to be able to work with the people that I work with because it is so rewarding. I feel very special that I'm they allow me into their lives and they trust me to help them with something that's such a transformational process. But selecting their names, I have heard some very beautiful, deep, meaningful stories and yours is one of them. Just the the the, the story behind where they can select their identity live their true authentic self. Like I always say, stay fierce, live your truth. And hearing it and how they select their name to represent and meet the world with their new authentic self is just awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful process. And it just makes me think too how we all should have access to this. I mean- A lot of people, regardless of gender identity, feel like their names don't represent them. I mean, your parents name you before birth, usually, and right. um, they don't know who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think it would be a beautiful ritual if when we all hit a certain age, we all, you know, did that deep thinking about what, what's the name that would most represent us.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a really cool concept. And I think too, you know, talking about people's authentic selves brings me to like probably one of my most favorite quotes in your book, if you don't mind me quoting you. When you show up completely and reveal your authentic self, you run the risk of rejection. That was spoke volumes to me because I'm constantly encouraging people to live their authentic self, live their truth. And I do acknowledge they run the risk of rejection. And that can vary from simple rejection in the store, not being seen, and I think you share a story too in the book, not being seen as non-binary and people trying to ma'am or sir you, and not being seen as who you are. So it can be something, when I say it's simple, that's still painful, but it can also be as far as losing your entire family, losing your entire career, because it's either you know, very masculine driven, and you are trans feminine, and that's just not going to be accepted where you work. Like, it's all different concepts. And so your whole write up about vulnerability versus self protection was fascinating and very eye opening for me. And I appreciate your thoughts on those. Yeah,
1: I think that is so important that, hey, if you have a lot of power and privilege behind you, you could afford to be open about who you are. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability is easier um, if you have a lot of support for who you are. But, you know, you think about all of the black trans women that are getting killed for, right. you know, being who they are.
0: The ultimate it, cost.
1: It, yeah. And it really makes it clear that it's um, that some people um, might make a choice to protect themselves and not show their identity, because Mm -hmm. it's not safe. And I want to honor that too. And then, But the problem with that is if you don't show your authentic self, then people don't get to say that who you are has value and really love you for who you are. Mm -hmm. So there's a cost that comes from that, you know, and it becomes so, so important to develop community so that there are some places where you feel safe, as you make the decision to protect yourself and not show yourself in yeah. other places. Yeah. And it can be really hard to figure out where to be vulnerable and you know where you might feel more safe doing that mm-hmm. and where it's best to not, to just present an inauthentic self and get by.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we as a you know, society have a lot of work to do with that. Exactly.
1: And it it's very hard to manage the costs of being closeted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. People often ask me who are not a part of the gender community or even the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, explain to me, you know, the transgender experience. And I'm like, I cannot explain that to you. I identify as cis and I can't, Tell you what somebody else's experience is, and I can't even explain it to you. But here's what I tell you: do your best to accept it. You know, meet people with love. You don't have to understand what they're going through. You just have to show them respect and love. You know, because um, not everything could be understood or even explained in such a way that somebody else could understand your experience. I think it's really impossible on a lot of different accounts to understand somebody's journey. Um, you can empathize and you can try your best to relate and create a safe space for them, though. And I think that's what we need to do as a society is stop trying to figure out, well, where did this come from? You know, stop trying to seek the answers and, you know, because not everybody needs to know everything. But what we do need to know is that everybody is deserving of love and acceptance. Does that make sense? Sounds beautiful. And I hope I captured that in the book as well. I think you do. And that's why... I am so thoughtful about this right now is that I'm, and I really felt like you spoke to me a lot through this book because it's something I feel like you put into writing a lot of the ways that I feel and kind of always verbalize to people. And i I mean, your words really spoke to me in that regard. And so it made it easier for me to sometimes verbalize the way that I feel to other people, because this is what I want to emulate. You know, this is the vibes I want to throw out into the universe is like, I don't care who you are, what you do, but I'm here for you. And if you need me, this is a safe space. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And thank you. Yeah. And I also love that you call people out in here. And I don't mean call people out in a bad way, but um, create thought, you know, thought provoking by saying that it's not okay to say, I don't see color. It is so important that we see color. I have always said that. Because if you don't, then you cannot address the disparities amongst the people of color. So that was the other thing that I think is so important, especially with everything that's going on in today's world, with the Black Lives Matter movement, but also Trans Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter movement. I mean, it's uncomfortable and it needs to stay uncomfortable so that we can continue to create positive change. Right, right. Yeah.
1: One of the things that that was really beautiful for me and important and I'm really proud of was I asked a, a Black woman to write the introduction and to write about what was meaningful in mm-hmm. the book for her. Mm-hmm. And I was a little scared of that, you know, as a white person. Like, mm-hmm. could I write a book that spoke to somebody who had such different experiences than me? Mm-hmm. And particularly this was um, a woman who is well known as kind of a spokesperson for black people. Her name is Ijoma Alua. Mm-hmm. The the forward that she wrote was just beautiful. And in it, she wrote about her own history of unbelonging Mm -hmm. and how every chapter of the book spoke to her, Mm -hmm. that she could find, you know, something in it that really um, made clear, like, her experience in the world Mm -hmm. and validated her. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was really great because I really just... I was trying to write this book for all of us who have at some point felt like we don't belong and I I just so wanted people to feel seen and valued. Mm-hmm. And so it was a book that was intended to be written for marginalized people mm-hmm. and to center their experiences. And yet, you know, another thing that's been really beautiful to me is that my audience in the past has not been that my audience in the past for my previous books mm-hmm. has been more people who are privileged so they're also reading the book
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the experience for for them is at times they felt like it's really clear that the book wasn't like that the institutional and systemic discrimination you know might mm-hmm. not be a part of who they were mm-hmm but yet they still experience that feeling of like not fitting in at some, on some level because nobody ever fits into blackness or Mm -hmm. whiteness or man or woman. Totally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. There's all these ways in which we feel like things just don't match up. So it turned out that it, it did feel very accessible and quite a learning experience for the people who were more privileged and gave them more perspective on like, their own experience and it also gave them more perspective on the ways in which they unintentionally set up conditions mm-hmm. so that pe- others don't feel like they belong and kind of gave them ideas for solutions and how to work through that. So I feel really honored to see the response to this book and how it's kind of reached across all of our differences.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, to your point, your your writing is very different, even though some of the you know, some of the messages you're sending are are very similar, but the Health at Every Size book um, felt a lot more scientific, geared towards having a healthy, quote, relationship with food and also promoting body positivity. And that's when I first, I guess the way that I learned about you as a person and your writing is I've always, you know, I've always created or tried to create a safe space for my patients, regardless of their shape, color, or size, you know? And I found myself unknowingly getting a following in the Atlanta community for not being a fat shamer. And it's nothing that I purposely did. It's just came from word of mouth and referrals. And so more and more people came to me and say, I heard about you through Atlanta. I heard you're not a fat shamer and that you practice health at every size. And I'm like, well, I'm definitely not a fat shamer. Um, I'm not sure what health at every size is, though. And so I made a point to go and educate myself and found you writing. Um, well, I actually listened to that book. So I got to listen to you uh, read the book to me. But it was it was great. And me and my nurse practitioner student at the time were just like constantly, uh, we listened to it together, like simultaneously and having a lot of feedback about it. And so that was my initially when I reached out to have you on the show and then learning about that you had this new book um, and then reading the new book just blew me away compared like just the amount of wisdom that you could put into this book and encompass even more populations and more concepts was just amazing to me. I think you really hit it out of the park. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And I just know that there's so many people that I've already been hyping up on my social media about this interview with you that are they're going to be listening, that are going to benefit from this book. And I think it was whoever I arranged the appointment with, Jennifer, and I'm not clear exactly what their role is with you, so I apologize. But she actually sent me a copy of your book, but I had already purchased it and started reading. So I want you to know that book actually got gifted to somebody who was having a hard time and also identifies as non-binary and... Um, they're a person of color, and I just really think that this book's going to be healing for them. And so just know that your your gift also got uh, paid it forward to somebody else who I think could really use it.
1: That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned Jennifer because I would love to give a call out to Jennifer Canzaneri, who has seen me through all three of my books, and she's been a wonderful publicist and cheerleader for awesome.
0: the call. Yeah. And she was very pleasant to work with and communicate with. So yeah, she's awesome. Well, I've had so much fun chatting with you today. I mean, I feel like we could talk for hours. I just could just pick your brain and all of your wisdom and life experience and learned experience. Um, But I'm sure you have many other things that you need to be doing. (laughs) But before we wrap it up, is there anything you want my listeners to know or any final thoughts you might have for them?
1: You know, spread the love in the world. There's there's just too little of that. And we need, we so need to just be in this world together, to be building community that, you know, as the 99%, that's our power, is is being part of a collective. So, um, you know, I honor the work that you're doing, Erin, and how much you're part of this community. And I just want to encourage everybody else to Join in in making this a more beautiful world.
0: I appreciate that. Yes, that is a wonderful message. Do you have any? I know I just said I wasn't going to ask you any questions, but for the person who's sitting there and maybe not ready to come out as their authentic self or is still battling internal conflict, do you have any short words of advice for them?
1: Wow, well, the common advice that we're supposed to give is just to remind people that it gets better. Yeah. Than you know, like your experiences as a kid are very different from what happens when you are an adult and you have more agency. But I think that the most important thing that we can all do that's going to be helpful is to find community. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't feel safe in the world as in general, you can always find safe pockets where it is safe to express yourself and to get the feedback that you're loved and valuable and keep searching for that because it's out there and it's so necessary for everybody for survival Mm -hmm. so know it know that there are people out there that want to love you and see you and accept you and are like you you know share your experiences and um you can find them
0: that's awesome. Thank you for much, so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Sure. Awesome. And so, Lindo, your book is available at major retailers, but also we encourage people to check out small local retailers, local bookstores, support local business. Especially here in Atlanta, everybody, there are a lot of LGBTQ owned and operated bookstores that Lindo's book is available in. So do your research before we head to big box stores, even though we love them, too. Thank you so much. Remember, everybody, stay fierce and live your truth.